0: Lauren. Mike. Lauren, are you ready to say goodbye to 2021?
1: Is that this year? Is that the current year we're in now? Because I've lost track of time.
0: I'm afraid it is.
1: Okay, then yes.
0: (laughs) Me too. That's what we're going to do this week. We're going to say goodbye to 2021.
1: Let's do it.
0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Calori, a senior editor at Wired.
1: And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired.
0: We are also joined by Wired senior associate reviews editor Adrian So. Say hello, Adrian.
2: Hi, guys.
0: Welcome back. And we have on the show this week Wired reviews editor Julian Chokatu. Hi again, Julian. Hello. It's always a pleasure to have both of you here. Full house, full boat. We got four heads.
1: A lot of gear in this room. (laughs) This virtual room.
0: (laughs) Well, this is our last show of the year. Gadget Lab is going to be taking a break for the rest of December. So this week, we're going to do our annual wrap-up episode. Now, this year, much like the one before it, has been a lot. With all the vaccines and the variants, supply chain issues and metaverses, it has been an eventful few months We think it always helps to take a step back and look at how all of this constant change is actually affecting our lives we also get to express some appreciation for the people and the things that helped us get through this year when we do these shows so we're looking forward to it and uh let's get right into it let's talk about the tech products that changed our lives this past year maybe for better maybe for worse but i think we should go around the room and everybody can say their piece and talk about the thing that they loved or hated or observed in the world of technology that really made a difference. So Adrian, let's start with you. What big tech thing made the biggest impact on your life this year?
2: So, this year was the year that I got interested in gaming, which was <laughs> which was something that was not being that was not expected from all of my colleagues that actually work in games but and it's taking me a while to catch up with everything that has happened since i was playing like mortal Kombat with my cousins and this is a particularly interesting year to become interested in gaming since as we all know it's impossible to find any components anywhere um Supply chain issues, all the Bitcoin people taking all of the graphics cards. It's just like this is like I could not have picked a better or a worse year to start becoming interested in this. Uh, The main thing that I've been thinking about is um, cloud gaming because I started out with a Nintendo Switch, moved to a Stadia so that I could play bigger games without having to buy a console got onto NVIDIA GeForce Now so I could play other games, and today my Backbone One phone controller comes so I can get the Xbox Game Pass on my phone and finally play It Takes Two and Call of Duty, so I am just... Try, like, I am going to single handedly start the cloud gaming revolution, like, in my house this month. And it's crazy. It's just a really interesting thing to be coming to gaming from a totally different angle than all of my colleagues who are much better at games than I am and have had Xboxes for, like, the past 10 years. So, Adrian,
1: I hear and understand some of the words you're saying here
2: like,
1: <laughs> like Nintendo and Call of Duty and NVIDIA but if you had to describe for someone who maybe isn't as into gaming like what the essence of it is what really pulled you in and drew you to it this year what is that what is that thing
2: well here's the thing you can do it inside your house <laughs> 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 thing like and put it together that gaming is so incredibly social and it's so easy to do and you just like can do whatever and plug in a headset that hopefully has a boom mic and it's so easy to find people to play with like anytime this year that i've mentioned i've been that i've mentioned i've started playing games it's like Oh, you play games? Do you want to play PUBG on Stadia? Do you want to play Call of Duty on Xbox? Let's get on Sea of Thieves on the Switch. Like it is so easy to hang out with people on games with games. And I don't have to put on pants. Like this is a revelation <laughs> to me. I can like I I mean Please, somebody who has been doing this for longer than eight months, weigh in at any time.
3: <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, for me, it's like uh, I, I find myself much more uh, immersed in some a hobby, for example. So, like, you know, I like reading. I like watching movies and, and TV shows. But there's something about gaming because it requires you to do Like, you have to pay attention. You have to, like, act on things. You have to, like, do... You have to pretty much be involved very much in the entire experience of consuming it. So I I kind of prefer that a lot of times, you know, after I'm done editing a bunch of stories or writing, typing up a lot of words. The last thing I want to do is sometimes stare at another screen and just like sort of absorb information um or just like sit somewhere and read more words but um sitting there and actually like controlling a character and and having that uh experience is something that's i think for me like it's like the a nice uh way to blow off some steam after after at the end of the day so blowing things up
2: yeah, exactly. Lauren, we did a 3 on 3 battle royale in VR yesterday and I got to kill you a couple of times. And so <laughs> this was that did you not see the appeal of this? Like do you not want to do that like every day? Like can I yeah, I, I don't think Adrian and I are sharing any kind of sensitive
1: information, but we did have <laughs> a briefing in the f- meta Oculus Quest 2 headset. So Adrian was in Portland and I was in San Francisco. And then we were meeting with a bunch of folks who presumably were in the Bay Area or Menlo Park. Mm-hmm. And and we like, yeah, we were in uh, Facebook or meta, excuse me, Horizons.
2: But it's just called Horizons? It's I called hori- it's called Horizons World. It's the embargo lifted. Horizons World. T- the the, the embargo right. lifted today so we can talk about it.
1: Right, right. Yeah. And we saw, part of what we saw was how, um, developers can build game experiences from directly within the app, rather than say having to go like work in Unity and then and then port things over to the the metaverse world. But um, we also yeah we played a like we played a game and we were like running around this un- this you know virtual universe and talking to each other and shooting at each other. Uh
2: and (laughs) it was fun. It was really fun. Yep. We we didn't have any legs, but we had guns and that's the important part. It was (laughs) so so, and a couple
1: times I definitely ended up in some other part of the metaverse where I I could hear other players, including Adrian, at a distance. And I was like, guys, (laughs) guys,
2: (laughs) I'm in the underworld. They, How do I get out? They definitely sandbagged us. There were grenade launchers and things hidden in this game that nobody had bothered to tell Lauren or I about. Yeah. yeah. It, it kinda like- feels like like a like a metaphor
1: for like, you know, reporting on Facebook. Oh
0: god Well Adrian you mentioned you mentioned Stadia and some of the other cloud services and like I've I've not really dabbled in that world. I'm usually just download games and then play them and like don't be social. But what is it about cloud gaming that really appealed to you and the thing that it sounds like hooked you?
2: Um, the crux of it is, is whether cloud gaming is enough of an attraction in and of itself, if I am perfectly happy playing on Stadia for like as long as I want to play games, or if this is just a stopgap measure until I can actually buy a console, like how long I can hold out before actually just, um, getting myself a ps5 or stealing someone else's which may happen in like two or three weeks so i don't i don't know i may just drive up to seattle and take someone else's so someone else's ps5
3: i do want to say i think cloud gaming is definitely going to be like very popular the the biggest hurdle at the moment is just that like you really need super fast internet Mm -hmm. and so you know without that your experience Mm -hmm. is going to be kind of crappy uh so you know not everyone can afford that or not everyone just has access to that and like the one time i tried stadia i guess my router was kind of crap at the time because it was not a good experience at all so maybe it's changed since then but um yeah so so that's why i think that that's like a hurdle but i do think the concept of it is really cool like i can play a game. Without having to, you know, download and wait for two hours, or require a super high end PC or something like that, so it it is cool and I'm, it's awesome. I think that you are, you know, trying all the cloud gaming things for us.
2: Awesome and a little bit sad, but that's
3: okay. nothing sad about it. Nothing sad about it. <laughs> all right, well let's uh,
0: let's move on. Let's go to Julian. Julian, tell us what is the thing in technology that changed you as a human being this year.
3: It kind of started late last year, but this year I really got into uh, electric bikes and electric uh, scooters, the ones that you stand and ride, not the, you not and, the Vespa kind. You and everyone else. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, it's kind of insane. In New York, it's exploded like there's a i see an electric scooter every five minutes when i walk outside it's it's everywhere and they're not sort of like the rental kind you know like lime or bird or whatever weird name adjective uh, company that's out there it's it's people owning their own uh scooters and you know i've been testing a lot of them for wired this this past year and it's just been such a nice comfort to not have to worry about when a train is showing up or if it's schedule is messed up or if there's not going to be a train on the weekend, it's just not having to worry about getting into an Uber with someone and, you know, sitting in a car with your mask or just just generally just not having to worry about all of that and just hopping on something and just going somewhere um, is, is kind of nice and not having to worry about parking, which is obviously the the biggest thing in New York. Um, So I can just like fold them up and like, you know, carry them up the elevator, uh, and plump them down in my uh, living room. And and that's it. I I have a way to pretty much go anywhere within like a 10 to 20 mile radius. And I've picked up groceries. I've gone to pick up late night food uh, orders that my, uh, girlfriend has, you know, craven for, uh, it just pretty much anything. And and even crazier in the summer, I I tested a $2,000 scooter, which is kind of the high-end model. And I went from, Williamsburg Brooklyn to across the bridge to New Jersey in uh, Palisage Park and that's about a 17 mile I think it was in total a round trip 17 miles you have And to go I still had right so you go. yep I went through and I went oh, over wow. the George Washington Bridge which all of it was kind of insane because it was like crazy steep hills and it was also the George Washington Bridge bike lane is insanely narrow um but I did it, and I had, like, 30% left in the the tank when I got home, which is kind of insane in and of itself, and it was just, like, I I got to see a friend that, like, he's been driving his car to visit me over the pandemic, like, now and then, and the fact that I was able to finally go see him without having to take, like, three buses and a train was just kind of, like, it was just amazing, it was amazing, so I I can't stress enough that I think, you know, if you're in a, if you're in an urban environment, and you're Frequently, kind of taking an Uber to get somewhere, or maybe hopping on a couple of trains or something. If if a scooter makes sense for you and you have space in your home to put one, or 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 a folding e bike, or just an e bike, um, I think I think so much everyone should get it. It's it's kind of life changing.
1: Julian, you mentioned the summer. So what happens when the weather is really bad?
3: Yeah. Well, that is, (laughs) there's the rub. That's when you take the train. (laughs) But I mean, there are some uh, scooters out there that are like sort of waterproof, but they all generally recommend that you, you know, if it's light rain, you're probably fine. If it's a bit of snow, you're probably fine. Um, but for the most part, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe just take the train those days.
2: Uh, I'm going to pop in here as somebody who's been riding e-bikes for a while in Portland, Oregon, which is pretty rainy. This is when you put on your down puffy under your rain jacket and you go out anyway, because the infrastructure changes over the past year has totally astounded me because at the start of the pandemic, um, in where I live in Oregon, which is a lot less dense than where Julian lives. Like they instituted different slow streets, they put up road barriers and the number of parents and people that I see like there's a whole e bike crew that comes and goes and picks up our kids every day from our from a school and stuff. Like I am I think this is gonna be one of the biggest changes to come about in cities in the next two to five years is how to make them more pedestrian and the more pedestrian and e-bike and scooter friendly, because even in my own neighborhood, like the solutions have been so many and so low cost and so beneficial. Like it doesn't cost anyone anything to put up like some, Big orange cones in a bunch of the streets around our school. They've rerouted traffic to send cars off to a whole different door at my kids' school to make way for all of the e bikes and scooters. Like, it's awesome. It's totally awesome to watch. I think it's super cool and going to be really important, especially when we think about climate change and clean power and all that. So.
0: And you talk to the people who drive and they probably complain about it endlessly, right?
3: I mean, that is kind of an issue, though. In New York, there was a couple of stories where they had uh, blocked off a couple of roads to make them pedestrian only. uh, And, you know, People who have cars have apparently gotten really angry, and a lot of those blockades ended up in some river not far from here. Yeah. Uh, so, like, people are really not happy with suddenly closing off roads that they used to drive in, uh, even if it is for the betterment of all mankind. Yeah.
0: After a hundred years of designing our streets to accommodate cars, all of a sudden everybody, you know, is up in arms that. A minority of people want to change that in order to save lives and improve the quality of living for many people in the city. And that's just the way it's going to go.
2: Yeah, I guess I haven't seen very much of that because I'm mostly doing school drop offs and pickups. And it's really hard to get angry at a bunch of first and second grades, but not impossible. I'll wait. <laughs> I'll wait and see if that happens.
0: All right. Well, let's pause here and take a quick break, and then we'll come back and we'll keep going around the table. So Lauren, you're going to be up next. All righty. Welcome back, everybody. Lauren, it is now your turn. What's the thing, the technological thing, the thing with the chip in it that changed your life this year?
1: Okay. I hate to say it, but I'm going to say it peloton
0: ah come on we'd love to (laughs) say (laughs) it
1: which really started last year so like julian this is not just a 2021 trend and like adrian said there's something about this that um is directly related to the fact that we've maybe been spending more time indoors, if we've been quarantining, or we have jobs that um, allow us to work from home. And uh, there's a little bit of, uh, I guess, gamification to Peloton too. But Peloton, as most people know, is the really expensive exercise equipment. You can get an internet connected bike or an internet connected treadmill. They have these giant tablets attached to them. And that tablet becomes a portal to either live streamed or on-demand fitness classes. I found in particular during the first, half of this year, that it really helped give me a sense of community when I just couldn't really go see people or family uh, in person the way that I that I wanted to. Uh, I, I did this thing in January with uh, some friends and family back on the East Coast who also were using either the Peloton app or uh, the bike where we would set up competitions for each other we would we started a private group where we would share our favorite classes a few of us did a haleakala climb over a period i think of five sunday mornings we'd get up really early and ride for an hour until we got to like the top of this virtual haleakala volcano um i found that even when i started to quote unquote go outside again and interact with the real world i was still using the mobile app which you can you can subscribe to you for just $13 a month as opposed to investing in the really expensive bike and paying $39 per month for the classes. If you just use the mobile app, you still get access to things like yoga, strength training, outdoor running uh, and walking exercises. And so even when I started to just want to be outdoors more, even after I got my first vaccine and I started to kind of emerge from my cave, um I found myself still using the Peloton app. Now I will say I have fallen off. I just got a notification the other day that said, uh, you know, this is your month in a snapshot for November. And I worked out three times on Peloton. (laughs) So that, you know, I, I think a lot of people have fallen off now. But I also think that these things are cyclical. And yes, they've got me in their clutches. I'm probably not going to unsubscribe or stop using it now because like January is around the corner and, you know, we all get that resolve in January to like get in shape again. And so maybe I'll hop back on the bike then. But um yeah, I think the Peloton really had a pretty material impact on my life this year.
2: I am also a Peloton addict, as Lauren knows, and it's just so easy to filter. I don't I don't even have the bike. I just do the app. And you can just like, it's so easy to fit into your life. Like I work full time. I have two kids. Like I will just like go and like queue up like a body weight workout for like 30 minutes while like Sean is like, like toasting the dino nuggets or whatever for dinner. It's so easy to use. And it's gotten to the point now, like after a year of using it, that when people say like, like when the instructors are like, let's go Peloton. Like I'm like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> That's Peloton. I'm I'm Peloton. I should get the sports bra that says Peloton. Like I don't know what it, what it is about it. It's I feel like I'm like just joined like some kind of like mega evangelist church or something, and it feels so good. I don't you. know what to do. <laughs> it is really culty. It's culty and. I think a
1: lot of people have these parasocial relationships with the instructors where they kind of feel like they're your friends, but they're not. You don't really know them, but they feel like real people in your, in your life. And if that's what keeps you motivated to work out um, where like maybe in a, in a, a previous life, you used to be able to go to a yoga class with 30 other people without worrying about your health. Um, or you used to be able to go for like runs, you know, jog, jogs and runs with your friends. And like, maybe that's a little bit harder right now. And so these, these instructors have kind of like
2: replaced that. I don't know, that interaction in your life. I think it's also the music Here's the thing just because like you feel like I feel like I picked the instructors that I feel would probably become my friends in real life. And so when like Olivia Amato, like cues up like Celine Dion and I'm just like, yes, we would totally like be in some- someone's living room. Like this ta- like like my heart will go on. Like this is like, yeah, we would totally be friends in real life. Like the fact that they can like choose their own music makes me feel really bonded to them. Yes, so, totally. Yeah, yeah when, when
1: when Kendall starts playing "This Is Me" from The Greatest Showman, I'm like, yeah, yes. yeah. <laughs>
2: so okay, I can't believe I'm admitting this on a podcast. I have
0: I have no idea what you guys are talking about. It's a, it's a good song. It's a yeah, good song. Like
2: from it. now on, you've heard it. <laughs> You've heard it, Mike. All
0: right, we'll stop there so we don't have to do licensing rights. Wait,
1: wait, wait. can I say one more thing that I I had written as a kind of – initially I wrote it as kind of like a runner-up to the technology that's changed my life, and then I thought, this is insane. This is not the runner-up. This is hands down the technology that has changed my life this year. It's the vaccines. Yeah. The vaccines are the number one, you know – technological advancement, scientific advancement that I think has has changed my life and changed a lot of people's lives. And um, it's almost like become this, mo- you know, the moment when you sort of think back on 2021 for me in the telling of the year and when things started to change or when you got to reconnect with someone and give them a hug again or the time period in which I got the vaccine happened to coincide with my birthday. So that really felt like, OK, now i I get to, I just get to interact with people again and see the people I love. And that was, that was really wonderful. And it has a chip in it. Right, of (laughs) course. And now I, Lauren Good, have 5G. I'm Lauren 5G. That's right. All right, Mike, what's the technology that changed your life the most this year?
0: Okay, can I, can I get, um, uh, I don't know, pensive, uh, esoteric? Can I do a left turn here?
2: I thought you were going to say, can I get a what, what?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I thought you were going to say, can I get two or three? And I was going to say, well, you're a boss, so
0: go right ahead. Okay, so I would like to say that the thing about technology that that changed me the most this year is that I was able to take a step back from technology in meaningful ways. So let me try to walk you through this. Um, 2020, the year that the pandemic arrived... I, like many people, like dove right back into technology, right? I spent all of my spare time on my phone. I spent all of my spare time, you know, watching YouTube videos and reading news and just like going full immersion to the point where it was really like affecting my sleep. It was affecting my social habits. Um, I mean, obviously I wasn't socializing a lot, but, you know, there was this period of a few months towards the end of 2020 where... I, every time my wife spoke to me, I had to say what, I'm sorry. I didn't hear that. I was looking at Twitter because I was like, I was constantly looking at Twitter. So, um around the end of 2020 in the beginning of 2021 i made some some changes like to my own digital health stuff right so i set up all of the timers uh using like the wellness um features of the smartphone i set up the timers that limited the amount of time i was allowed to spend in apps like twitter and instagram which are the big ones for me um I started using uh, InstaPaper more often so I would just if there was something I wanted to read I would just save it for later and then I would find that like quiet time where I could I could read it um, usually on my iPad because it doesn't have my phone right mm-hmm. um I think the place that it manifested the most was just in my my daily habits in the physical world so I started putting my phone face down while I was cooking in the kitchen. So for like an hour, I would just listen to the radio and be in the kitchen and like not check my phone. And like, you know, I'm sure a lot of people are listening to this. Like, you can't go an hour without checking your phone. But like, actually, yeah, I was in that spot. where we all check
1: our phones a lot. We do. A lot more than we realize.
0: So just like putting it face down on the other side of the room was important. Mm -hmm. I started doing Mm -hmm. that when I went to sleep. I would put it on the charger that I could not reach from the bed. Um, For uh, times like right after work, if I had like an hour after work, I would just flip my phone upside down and and charge it. So I just started like stepping away from it and like trying to break that that tether. The other thing is, in my running. So, you know, I started running seriously a few years ago. And like a lot of people, when I got into it, I was doing Map My Run. I was wearing a Garmin watch. I got some, I like, went through three or four different types of wireless headphones so I could find the ones that I like the best for running. Um, I started, uh, <laughs> Adrian is. <laughs> Adrian is pointing to her, her four sensors that she's wearing. She's got all of these <laughs> fitness trackers that she's wearing. But she does write about fitness trackers. That's okay. But yeah, like I you know, I wore a, a Garmin running watch, uh the the Seven Something Something series Garmin watch. And like got way into all that stuff. Um I had like podcasts that I listened to. So I'm like going out running and I've got, you know, four pieces of technology on my body. So at the beginning of twenty twenty one, I just took all that stuff away. I ran for like a month with no watch, no headphones, no podcast, no phone, and really kind of got back in touch with myself. And my running improved, my mental health improved. A lot of things just got better when I didn't have all this stuff on me. You know what I mean?
2: Mm -hmm. I totally get it, Mike, cause I run in this park by my house And like my friends will see me in there and they'll be like, well, you were really in the zone, so I didn't stop I didn't stop you or say hi or anything. So I actually I actually took off my Apple Watch and my Garmin and started just using like the whoop and the aura because like when I can't see my heart rate or my mile pace, then I'm so much more likely to, like, stop away from someone and, like, from 10 feet away and just be like, hey, and, like, talk for a little bit. I'm a little bit, I mean, it's hard to let go of that, like, tech anxiety, the fact that I'm probably getting slower, but I don't yeah. know. Just, like, making, like, turning your daily run into, like, an, an outing instead of just, like... Something to check off the list has been kind of a little bit paradigm shifting for me, too, in the past couple of weeks. There's also a way in which you can wear sensors on yourself
1: or you might still be carrying your phone with you, even if Mm. you're not using it to listen to music or podcasts or actively look at Strava, where if you really want some of that data after the fact you can still see like how far you ran or if you're improving over time, but you don't necessarily have to be engaged with it so much on your wrist or wearing multiple sensors as you're doing the thing. Right. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. And for me, it's sort of like a mental trick. Like if I don't, if I'm not wearing any of the sensors, then this run is for me and it's for me Mm. now. And it's not for me in six weeks or six months. It's not for sharing on the internet. It's just for me. It's like me time. So it's, it's been hard to do in all aspects of my life, like it's you know, like I still feel the urge when I see the little the little alert show up and say, Oh, you've spent thirty minutes on Twitter today, you're not allowed to spend much more time on Twitter and I'm like, but I'm not done looking at Twitter. <laughs> and, you know, I know that all I have to do is go into the settings and turn that off, but I don't because I re- I realize that the reason that I that I put it there in the first place is because I have a problem. So <laughs> You know, it's, it was just the pandemic affected a lot of us, especially people who work on computers and work on the internet, like knowledge workers, like the type of stuff that we do, you know, we do internet journalism. It's like, we were already like fully consumed by the internet and the pandemic just put like this extra layer of internet over absolutely everything for everybody. So for, for me, it was like kind of overwhelming. And I really felt the need after, you know, six, seven months of, of being like all internet to just like take a bath and get it off of me um
1: mike what do you think that says about how much of the onus really is on us as individuals as consumers of tech to make changes in our lives versus the, the you know the supposed software solutions that companies like apple and google have put out in recent years to ha- to have us track our time in apps it's it, it just seems like like i i tend to believe that um you know our brains are kind of wired to be responsive no pun intended wired to be responsive to some of these like dopamine hits that are coming through our phones and and we're like oh colors apps notifications um and and i think that software designers it's been proven have played into those instincts um so like i'm not sure how much we can just say like Oh, it's, it's all on me. Let's just turn it off. And then, and then I can distance myself from tag. Like I think in some, in some ways, like we, we have established these like really unhealthy relationships, but like how much of it do you think can
2: actually be controlled by us? So Julian talked about this, uh, the sleep focuses and the work focuses on Macs, which I have started using and have actually been really helpful. And I also took all notifications off of my phone, which was incredibly alarming. And there were a few weeks where people were just like convinced that I was dead. Getting rid of that, like Pavlovian, like ding, like ding, like that has also been kind of, uh, I don't know, it, it kind of... Yeah, it it really does kind of suck that learning how to manage your time has become almost as much of a task as actually doing the things that you're managing your time to be able to do.
3: I wrote wrote a guide on wired.com on how to set up your focus, which is one of the new features in uh, Mm -hmm. all of Apple's new software versions for all their devices. And I'm probably the one person that doesn't follow any of that advice. (laughs) (laughs) I probably, there's a lot I could do to probably uh, help myself in in, in doing a lot of the things that what Mike was talking about. Um, But I mean, I do think that it is like, you know, these companies have created these tools because they have maybe they're out of good intentions trying to help us deal with all of the digital stuff that we're always uh, dealing with. And I just think that it's there. It is completely on us to, you know, adhere to it and stick to it and, and mold our life around those tools to, uh, rely on screens less or, or separate ourselves from uh, the internet a bit more because they might have provided it and you might expect them to you know do more but you can't really rely on them and waiting for a company to do something better is you're, you're gonna be waiting for a while <laughs> so yeah. so basically you just kind of have to like do it yourself I think but yeah.
2: Julian they're people and they love us <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can feel it. Yeah, you know those those tools are I'm glad they exist and I'm mm-hmm. glad that I'm able to take advantage of them. But, you know, they are they're not a solution as you said. They're they were largely created as like a reaction to the, the backlash against tech. Right. So they have like a political motivation for, for making the, the companies that, that make the software have like a political motivation for introducing those tools. And um, I just, you know, maybe it's a little bit cynical, but I just, I wonder what, like the altruism to politics ratio is there. I think that it's good that we have them But in the end, it is like they're not defaults. It is on us to actually set limits. And um, I encourage people to do that.
2: Yep. It's hard to suck advertising dollars out of millions of burned out husks of human bodies. So (laughs) let's all take care of ourselves so we can continue to check Instagram in a more healthy way.
0: On that note... (laughs) On that note, let's let's wrap up. Uh, We'll take uh, a break and we're going to come back and we're going to do our recommendations. It's a very special year-end recommendations. All right. This is the last part of the show. And because we have spent the whole first part of the show talking about tech products, we've got one rule for recommendations this week. No technology. Adrian, you go first. What is your analog recommendation?
2: So because we work in tech, my recommendation is analog, but we're going to get to it in a techie way, Uh-oh. which is that, yeah, we're, it's, it's, it's going to be super quick. The Witcher 3 was the video game that started it all for me. And season two of The Witcher uh, TV show is starting on Netflix uh, on December 17th, which I'm super stoked about. So my recommendation that is not tech is the actual witcher books and i'm going to totally butcher this name the told the the na- uh the author of the witcher books is andrzej sapkowski who is a complete gem of a dry eastern european nihilist uh he has some like I, i'm he's just he draws upon like actual slavic mythology to write these books and so like if you're interested in any of like the Witcher monsters or like stories these these are all these all come from like actual eastern european um folklore so there's just like this incredible rich deep history that he's drawing on and it's so the books themselves are just so deeply grounded in humanity in humanity and like a really like open-minded and egalitarian way. Like there's a whole scene in one of the books where Triss, who is a female magician, um, she comes to see Siri. Spoiler alert, Siri has been living and training with three male witchers, and none of the male witchers have told her about periods because they just didn't know about it and about puberty. And so Tris is this magician, she's like, What the f-? Oh, what are you guys doing? And they're just like, Meow! and it's such just like uh, like it's such a like a human moment to be happening in the middle of this like totally insane magical magical universe. And I think that's part of the reason why the books and the game are so appealing is because they come from that they're, they're the source of it is just this deeply human wry funny writer and like he has so he has so many quotes and it's so eastern european and i can't think of one of them now but he like like they're all they all run along the themes of like everything is just shit it's all shit all the time (laughs) it's don't worry about it it's just shit and it's just i don't know why i just i love it so so uplifting I, but in a funny, in a funny, dry way, which I can't do because I'm too American and too earnest. But if you were, if I were Eastern European, I'd be able to say it in a funnier way. Just but.
0: take take a drag of a cigarette and then blow the smoke out, and then deliver the line, and I think everybody will get what you're getting at. All right, all the Witcher books,
3: all the Witcher mm-hmm. books,
2: just all of them at once.
3: <laughs> uh, Julian, what's your recommendation? Uh, my recommendation is chocolate. Um, I went to a local Williamsburg, uh, there's like a little chocolate factory. It's called uh, Fine and Raw Chocolate. Um, and they just kind of make, uh, they're known for making chocolate bars and truffles, um, chocolate truffles, but over the pandemic, they kind of had to try new stuff because, you know, sales were declining. Uh, and so they started making these chocolate spreads. And apparently they became so popular that now they're known as a chocolate spread company first uh, and then chocolate bar and truffles uh, second. So uh, we went to the factory and we did a little tour and I was like, all right, we'll we'll buy a spread, try the spread it's freaking amazing so i suggest everyone go to com. you can pick up a, a spread there's chocolate hazelnut butter spread which is the one i, I may have finished way too soon um, that's like a nutella analog basically kind of uh my partner actually this morning said literally said this morning uh this is way better than nutella so, if that's uh, if if you're if you're a fan of Nutella or or any chocolate mm. spread, this is something that you might want to try. And there's a bunch of different flavors too that you can choose. Do they make drinking chocolate? They. Did at the shop, uh, I'm not entirely, I don't think you can actually, no, I don't think they have any sort of drinkable chocolate things that you can buy from their website, but if you are in Brooklyn ever, you can swing by their little uh, factory and they have a little station there where you can order all sorts of chocolatey drinks. Nice, Mike.
2: Mike, do you whisk your drinking chocolate with your matcha whisk or is that forbidden?
0: Oh no, the matcha whisk is just for matcha. Okay. No, so, like, drinking chocolate, like, in my day, we used to just call it hot chocolate, but now it's drinking chocolate. It's kind of like you can't get beets anymore. It's always beetroot, you know? It's, like, one of those weird marketing things where it's, like, nobody, like, this is for kids, but this is for adults. So, like, adults have drinking chocolate. I don't know.
3: What what exactly is, like, usually when I make hot chocolate, it's from, like, uh cacao powder Mm -hmm. like so is that what drinking chocolate is it specifically something else it's it's, no it's exactly
0: the same thing okay (laughs) it's just it has it has a fancy name because it's fancy it is fancy you can't
2: keep up with it it sounds alcoholic
1: drinking chocolate (laughs) (laughs) that's drunken chocolate (laughs) all
0: right julian thank you for that delicious recommendation um lauren you get to go next
1: my recommendation is not at all self-serving or self-promotional um i just want to start with that caveat but i think that you should subscribe to magazines yes. <laughs> <laughs> i can't even say that without laughing Claim. Subscribe to magazines yeah <laughs> magazines they are not dead uh, but but to what mike said earlier trying to get away from the phone or the iPad or the television or the Peloton or the gaming system at night I really like physical media so I have a stack of books next to my bed I have finally gotten over the idea that I'm going to finish them all and I've stopped feeling guilty about it now they're just there for the for the taking whenever I feel like reading a book but I started subscribing to more physical magazines this year so in addition to getting wired which which we get anyway because we work at Wired. I subscribed to The Atlantic um because our, our former editor in chief went to go run The Atlantic and Boo. I figured you know I, I should probably should probably subscribe to the actual magazine. And um I subscribed to one of the other great magazines in the Condé Nast family of magazines, The New Yorker. So we already had access to The New Yorker digital, but I really missed reading the physical magazine. So I just subscribed as a little bit of a holiday gift to myself. And um I really like it it's just like it's 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 not the same commitment as reading a book before bed because at some point you're not you're like you're not going to finish the book you're going to put it down unfinished but you can pick up a magazine and just read an article and and you, you go to bed with your like your brain is filled with all of that really interesting information and you've read physical media so you haven't been looking at a screen with blue light and um yeah I recommend magazines they are not dead yet folks nice Mike what's your recommendation
0: um I'm gonna recommend Pilsner's
1: <laughs> Good gonna, call. Are those drinking pilsners? Those are drinking pilsners. <laughs> okay.
0: I'm I'm going to recommend relatively low alcohol beer that you can see through. Because um I've been uh you know I've been a beer drinker pretty much my entire adult life, wink wink, and I uh have gotten pretty burnt out on like what is on trend right now, which is crazy high alcohol double IPAs and like Imperial porters. I went to the store the other day to like Select a beer to relax with on a on a on a weekend, and it was like all IPAs and like double IPAs and triple IPAs and overhopped IPAs and wet hopped IPAs and like I love IPAs, they're great, you know, they've revolutionized everything for so many people. But come on, give us some variety. So um, I went with like a nice German selection and maybe like a Czech selection. Uh, There are some wonderful Pilsners from the United States and from Canada. And these are not lagers. These are Pilsners. This is Pilsen style beer. It's like very light, very crispy and, uh, you know, just like sort of a nice change of pace. I think, you know, there are plenty of good options out there for people who like to drink beer, but I know that a lot of people look down on Pilsners because they're cheap and they are low alcohol. They're like four and a half, five and a half percent. Which is like half of an IPA, <laughs> so um, a lot of people think that you don't get as much for your money. But I'm here to tell you, pilsners are delightful. Stop ragging on them; they're great.
2: I have a I have a specific pilsner recommendation. What is it? The alcohol in the early part of the pandemic. It was it was you know we all had different coping mechanisms it was in the beginning flowing. of the. It was it was, was flow it, flo- it was flowing. So I also stopped drinking uh, about a couple of months ago or whatever. But I do. Um, I, I do have a drink one night a week and, uh, the, uh, Heater Allen is a brewery in Oregon, and they make an exquisite Pilsner that they make locally that's based on the on a Czech Pils, and every time I have one on Thursday nights, and I'm just like, oh my god, like, is it because, like, why is this, why is beer so good? Is it just, <laughs> is it just this particular beer, or is it Thursday, or is it because I only have one beer, but, like, the Heater Allen Pilsner is wonderful. So that is my favorite
0: pills. We get that brand down here in California too. Yay. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thanks everybody for uh, joining us to wrap up the year. We really appreciate it. Adrian, Julian, thank you for being here. Thanks Thanks for having me.
2: Yes, me too.
0: And Lauren, thanks again for another year of co-hosting this jam
1: this has been an amazing year, Mike. We've had some great podcast tapings. We've also had some great podcast conversations offline that unfortunately the rest of you will never hear. That's right. But we, t- when we're not podcasting, we're talking about podcasting. So Pretty we're much. here for you and we're really looking forward to doing more in 2022. So thanks to everyone who's been listening.
0: And we are taking the rest of the month off. So this is our last show for 2021. We'll be back uh, the first week of January talking about CES I know you can't wait. (laughs) (laughs) This show is produced by Boone Ashworth. Thanks for listening. We will be back next year. Put down your phone, drink a Pilsner, play a cloud video game, read a magazine, go for a little internet skateboard ride across a bridge. Be safe. Goodbye.